countries, industries, businesses, individuals are claiming to be or signalling to become carbon neutral. At first glance, you may be forgiven for assuming that wool is a natural product made of 43% pure carbon grown using sunshine and grass as part of the natural carbon cycle is in a good position, but not so. Methane from ruminants is a problem in the equation using current methodologies, and this is something to be studied by the next Nuffield Scholar, funded by wool growers through Australian Wool Innovation. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So Colette Glassick is a wool grower with a background in law and business from Tasmania and has had first-hand experience at carbon accounting. Our property is called Lewisham and it's in the northern Midlands and then the property that we purchased with my parents is in the southern Midlands but it's only about 15 minutes away so nice and close. We have a self-replacing pole merino flock and we run about 8,000 heads. We do have a few crossbreeds but we have our main focus is on wool. Um, And I'm really lucky that my parents, so my stepdad, Lindsay Young, and my mum, Ray Young, have really had a strong focus on genetic improvement over the last decade of the Merino flock. So they've been focusing on on breeding a plain-bodied, early-maturing, meaty Merino, um, and they've been really successful at that. So we are still just fine-tuning our genetics every year and focusing on the traits that we want, but... They've made um, a huge headway into getting a meaty merino. Um, We also have historically done an eight-month shearing, but next year we're moving to a five- and seven-month shearing just to streamline things that happen on the farm. So that should be a really good change as well. And what is it that you you like about growing wool and running merinos? Well, I've always a strong interest in the textile industry, just personally. I love textiles and I really like the fashion industry. So... Growing wool fits really nicely into that and it's always really exciting to see your wool turn into a product and and to wear it and say, oh, wow, you know, this is the wool that we grew on our farm, which because we do um, contract wool to supplies that we know we can sort of point to garments and say, oh, some of our wool would be in that garment, so that's really cool. But in terms of being on the farm, I just love being outdoors. Um, I love the fact that, Farming is so much more than just having animals in a paddock. There's so much science that goes into it. Um, We're doing electronic ear tags now, which is um, not everyone in Tassie has to use them, so unlike the mainland. So we're doing that so we can really hone our genetics. We can track animals individually. We can choose the traits that we're looking for. And you can really develop your flock, and you can develop it quite quickly for the things that you're looking for. So I really love that there's so many things and and um, sort of avenues that you can focus on in farming and it's, you know, it's a really interesting space to work in. And one of those is, of course, marketing and uh, I think it's fair to say that Tasmanian wool growers sort of lead the nation in terms of uh, seeking new opportunities and one of those has come through a Scandinavian company uh, in recent years. Yeah, so Autofox, um, who's based in Germany, um, they have they do a few woolen garments. So they're an outdoor company, and they do a lot of hiking um, and mountain climbing gear. But they do have some woolen garments, and they source all their wool from Tasmania. So there's a bunch of Tasmanian wool growers that contract wool to them. So for about 
we've been growing uh, contracting wool for them since about 2010 and we contract about 30% of our wool each year to them. So it's been really great because they've developed a supply chain that allows them to track the wool that goes into their garments. So that's really nice. Um, and we've also, uh, last year, we sold some wool to Country Road and, again, that was tracked. Um, they, so they used a tracking process called Oritane. So they were able to know that the wool that they purchased from us was the wool that ended up in those garments. So that was really cool as well. So as part of that um, contractual arrangement with uh, Autovox, which I've incorrectly said is Scandinavian, you've corrected me with saying the German, thank you, they, um, they look at the carbon neutrality of your production and that's kind of sparked your, sparked your, your interest. Yeah, so Autovox um, being, you know, an out company, they wanted to become, they wanted the company to become carbon neutral by 2024, I believe. And they also wanted to know, so that's, you know, an overall thing. So they, they use a lot of other textiles other than wool. Um, but what they wanted to know was what was the carbon footprint of one of their T-shirts? So this year they asked us along with some other growers to do a carbon audit of our farm so that they could work out what the baseline was and then, you know, the other areas of the supply chain where carbon was emitted so they could get this um, carbon emissions of a T-shirt and then work out how they could either get those emissions to zero either through changing practices or... um, in the meantime, until those practices could be changed by offsetting them. So we were one of the farms chosen and I was really excited to be asked because it is an interest of mine and I was really keen to see what our carbon footprint on our farm was. So when we went through this process, I was quite surprised to know that the methodology used was sort of a bit of a generic one and it wasn't really specific to wool farmers. It had you know, it was about livestock, but um, there was a lot of things in terms of our management practices that just weren't taken into consideration. And I felt like the number that was given out at the end just wasn't that accurate in terms of what our carbon emissions actually are. So it gave a number and it gave quite what I would consider quite a high number. So we are... Um, we, according to this methodology, emit more carbon than we sequester. And I just felt like that wasn't an accurate representation of what goes on on our farm. So when I started looking to a little bit further, I I found that there was sort of a bit of a problem with this. And for wool growers as a whole, with everyone moving towards carbon neutrality, I felt like it was a problem that needs to be looked at and needs to be looked at quite soon because we're all moving to this sort of this direction of having to be carbon neutral because that's what markets are asking for. So we really need to have accurate ways of measuring it so that we can say this is actually what happens on our farm and then this is what we actually sequester rather than, you know, this kind of vague methodology. Or it's not it's not vague, but it doesn't take into account everything that goes on. So being able to do that in a more accurate way was really vital for wool growers going forward. Yes, it's something that is um, that has sort of certainly piqued the interest at AWI for many years, and uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, particularly in Europe at the moment around this. It, it does appear that uh, methodologies don't truly represent the nature of wool growing and and the the natural carbon cycle that we uh, 
we deal with, particularly when you look at um, native pastures and timber and vegetation. And, and of course, wool itself is 43% pure carbon by molecular weight. Um, um, do you feel as though we've just got the rough end of the pineapple when it comes to carbon accounting? I think so. And I, I also feel like perhaps it's just something that hasn't necessarily been looked at. Like, you know, carbon accounting is quite new. And I think that each industry hasn't had necessarily the time or the expertise or anything like that to look at the carbon accounting for each industry. And they've sort of been trying to, someone's come up with a methodology and they're trying to apply it to all industries. And I think that you can't compare a sheep farming enterprise to another industry because we all operate in such different ways. So really being able to say, right, this is a methodology and this works and gives you an accurate representation for a sheep farm in Australia as well is, is going to be a really beneficial thing for the industry going forward. But, again, you know, we all know that AWI have been really active in looking at environment, environmental ratings of different textiles because there are a lot of ratings that do put wool as quite a poorly rated product and, Again, they're not taking into account everything that goes in on the life cycle of the wool or the life cycle of the other textiles that they're comparing it to. So I think there has been areas where wool has essentially got the rough end of the pineapple and hopefully we can change that going forward. Well, let's hope so. And I think the Make the Label Count campaign that's uh, just been released in Europe is part of that. It's a really interesting thing and I think it comes down to like a lot of misinformation that has been put out by various groups and a lot of it is focused on on meat and I feel like meat in itself has been really demonised and when you actually look and, and in turn from that, animals and farm animals have been demonised and, you know, a world without ruminants is essentially a dead planet because they they are such an essential part of the ecosystem and if you don't have ruminants, you're not going to have your whole ecosystem functioning properly. And I, I feel like the people that are against meat have really missed that point. Um, and I don't understand, or well, I don't know necessarily why meat became so demonised, but I think it is a real problem because with a lot of this information that comes out, if you don't look at the statistics properly or you're not comparing the statistics properly, you can really it so that meat looks terrible but if you look at the environmental impact for example of a lab grown meat it is far far greater than meat grown in a in a paddock especially essentially because you with your growing meat in a lab you're using a huge amount of electricity to grow it whereas when you're growing meat in a paddock you are using the sun to grow that you know the sun is growing the grass and the animal is eating grass. There's no extra electricity going into that, whereas when you're growing lab-grown meat, you're using huge amounts of inputs, and you're also using plant-based things that have been grown, and are usually grown in intensive cropping systems. So I feel like that, that whole debate has been skewed significantly, and then in turn, those meat, that skewed view of meat, has then sort of shifted onto the wool industry. And you're getting these quite bizarre and skewed perceptions of the impact of animals in the world. 
In terms of your study, how are you how are you approaching it? And it's it's interesting to note that there's a number of Nuffield scholars that are looking at uh, carbon accounting in different um, parts of agriculture. And how how will you be bringing your training of the law to bear, which which brings a whole new um, approach to this very tricky subject? I'm going to be looking at comparison of methodologies, and there are in the various international agreements parts of the methodologies that are prescribed. So you have to use these sort of prescriptive things in methodologies and then it kind of gets a little bit grey about how you interpret them and which ones you use. And there is a lot of discussion around it internationally through government. So I guess being able to understand those discussions and being able to understand those agreements is going to be really beneficial um, through my training as a lawyer, when you read those documents, they can have a bit of legalese in them. So understanding what needs to be included and then what is essentially up to the country to decide on will be really beneficial. So it'll be comparison of methodologies used in different countries and also what what is prescribed into them. Then I'll be looking at comparison of on-farm methods So there are farms that are turning out carbon-neutral wool. So it'll be a matter of having a look and seeing what is it that those farmers are doing and why is it that they're able to turn out carbon-neutral wool? Is it that they have a a good methodology that's representative and also really excellent excellent practices on-farm or is it something else? And can those practices on-farm be brought back to Australia? Because we all have farm in different systems. So we all need to make sure that what we're talking about works in the country and the system that we're using. I'll also be looking at the supply chain of processing wool to see where there are areas that can be changed to reduce those carbon emissions. And then also I'll be having a bit of a look at the life cycle assessment of wool. So I know AWI has been really active, involved in getting reports done on this. And it's a really interesting area to look at because you're looking at the garment when it's being used by the consumer but also the end of life so what happens to that garment when someone wants to dispose of it where does it go does it get turned into microplastics like a lot of the synthetics or does it actually just biodegrade back into the soil so those will be the sort of four topic areas that I'll be looking at. Fascinating. It sounds like you've got a lot of work ahead of you. Where will you be, hopefully, travelling to? <laughs> hopefully, I'll be travelling to New Zealand and Argentina, um, Portugal, Italy, the United Kingdom, Germany, South Africa, and then also looking at some farms in Australia. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And bringing that sort of critical and comparable analysis to it all, it's um, it's a, a lot to... A lot to think about and a lot to analyse. Certainly a big topic, yeah. Um, but obviously it'll be one that um, is definitely interesting to me. So it might not be interesting to everyone else, but <laughs> hopefully well, it'll be useful to everyone. Well, certainly a very good investment, I would have thought, um, from the Wool Growers of Australia via AWI. And... Um, You've got quite a report to write at the end of all this. How does it all How does it all work? Uh, so I've got, I think it's 18 months to do my travel in. Um, so hopefully the borders will open up and I'll be able to do my travel. And then I have to write a 10,000-word report. 
on what I find and I have to do a few presentations on my report as well. So um, I'm sure you'll be very keen to read my 10,000 words, Murray. <laughs> very much so. Well, um, Colette, congratulations once again. You've got uh, a mountain to climb in front of you and uh, and, and having sort of a business to run and a family as well, it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty interesting time. But it, um, I think on behalf of um, many growers, you know, it's, it's wonderful to have you flying the flag for our fibre. It sounds like you, um, you're bringing some, some great thought and analysis to a really, really important subject. Thank you very much. Colette Glassic, the latest in a long line of Nuffield Scholars funded by Australian wool growers through Australian Wool Innovation. And we look forward to reading her findings in this very important area of study. But for now, from me, Maria's coming. Thanks for your company. Thanks for having a yarn with us.